I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You're listening to Text Message, the UK-focused technology podcast with me, Nate Langson. And joining me this week for a very unusual episode indeed from our hotel room in Kyoto, Japan, my wife, Kate Langson. Hello. Um, now, it's long been believed that Japan is at the forefront of modern technology. And while that was certainly true in the 90s, nations like South Korea and, of course, the US have given it real competition for the last two decades. So rather than talking you through some of the more obvious stuff that we've been experiencing out here on our holiday over the last two weeks, we're going to spend some time talking about the more nuanced observations that we've made. Now, I've been to Japan a few times before, um, but in the last five years, or rather in the five years it's been since I was last here, a lot has actually changed on the streets, I think. But we've not been confined to Tokyo. We've also come out to Kyoto, the old capital of Japan, and even found out what technology inside a geisha house is like by meeting several geisha and trainee geisha, Maiko, and asking them firsthand. Uh, we're going to start with that. But first, just wanted to thank our patrons supporting us every week at patreon.com slash UK tech. This is obviously a very special episode. It's going out to all of our listeners and no charge to our patrons. But thank you to everyone in whatever way you're supporting us for supporting us. So, Kate, just before we get into everything, overall, what's your experience of Japan been like so far? It's been amazing. It's been really, really good, really interesting and really exciting. Yeah. We're going to start talking about Geisha and, and Maiko technology uh, because I think that's probably the most interesting thing that we've been able to experience since we've been out here. Um, did you know what a Geisha was before you came to Japan? I knew what a Geisha was from the film, Memoirs of a Geisha, but that's about it. Um, so I didn't know a whole lot else really yeah um so maybe you can tell me the difference between a geisha and a maiko i can um well a maiko is a geisha in training and a geisha is a geisha who has been trained and has been doing it for several years and there's a common misconception that geisha are prostitutes which they are not and geisha themselves have been around for a few hundred years based mostly here in kyoto in Japan, but there are geisha elsewhere around the country, and and they're you know they're entertainers, they're dancers, they're musicians. They sing, they play shamisen, they talk to guests, um, and traditionally they've been extremely hard to to see. I mean, a lot of people come to somewhere like Kyoto because it's seen as the traditional side of Japan. It's the home of the oldest Japanese culture, if you like. Um, and every now and again, even we've spotted maybe two, like a couple on the streets, something like that. But it's very, very rare. There's only about 200 left now in Kyoto, um, uh, including Geisha and, and Maiko. But we managed to we managed to get into one of these tea rooms um, and had an evening with 
um, geisha. We were entertained with Shamizen and had drinks poured and had some good conversation. Um, and it seemed like a perfect opportunity to find out how much tech they actually have in their homes, which are called Okias. It's where the geisha live together, essentially. Um, and the, the the truth is they don't really have a lot, do they? they they're pretty much Luddite. So when, when they go into being... Uh, a geisha, they have to give up their phones, so they don't have smartphones, they don't have any social media, there's no internet in these Akia, and we met probably five geisha in total, I think over two nights, because we... Four. We, was it four? One, and then three. That would be four, yes. <laughs> so we met we met four. And, five maths. And, right and the... Um, the the answers were basically the same that you know they they live an extremely traditional life in these in these places um my thought was that maybe they would be able to have some kind of technology or maybe there'd be a, a computer in there that they could read news but but they don't they don't have they don't have anything their news comes from newspapers printed newspapers and from conversation with the people they're entertaining or from each other of course um they aren't allowed a phone they have to give all of that up when when they move into the um into these okias they keep in touch with their family uh which they rarely see over the course of a year by telephone on occasion but mostly by written letters which again sort of keeps this image of it being a very very traditional industry very much accurate i think now d- did that surprise you when when we met one who, she was about 18 the first one we we met i think 17 18 years old uh, she was a Maiko, a geisha in training, and I don't think she'd used technology for a few years because she'd been a Maiko for three or four years. Um, was that your...? Yeah, yeah. she came to be a Maiko at 16 and she was 18. She's 18 now. Um, so, yeah, she had to give up her phone and her friends and everything at 16. When you asked her... Um, what what's the hardest thing about being a Maiko or what's, what do you miss most? She didn't say phones or the internet or Snapchat or anything. She said, oh, I miss the food from my hometown. Um, so she didn't seem to miss it at all. Um, I don't know if that's just because she couldn't explain that in English or if, if that's genuine, but maybe after like a month you just sort of become so ingrained in that world that you just don't, care anymore i do wonder that as well yeah because the the second night that we were that we we went to a, a different a different tea room and uh and met a geisha fully qualified geisha um as well as another maiko and the maiko um there said the same thing you know that she had to give up all of this stuff but i think what was quite interesting is that they it wasn't a surprise to them to see, you know, the technology. Like, they were aware of it. And on our table, there was um, a French couple. And one of the Michael we were talking to spoke decent English at the second night. But, but she didn't speak French. So the French couple were using Google Translate um, to speak to her. So the French people spoke French into the phone. And then um, it played it back in Japanese. And then... They spoke, the Maiko spoke Japanese into the phone and it spoke it back to them in, in French. And she was very familiar. She seemed very comfortable with it. And to me, it was quite, it was quite strange seeing this very traditional, uh, old-fashioned, dressed girl 
uh, in a traditional Japanese tea room, very confidently holding an iPhone with Google Translate and pressing the button to speak into it and then giving it back to play back to them. It was, I mean, it was it was brilliant and quite surreal at the same time. Yeah, definitely. And she, because they were quite young, so they probably had phones only a couple of years ago. Uh, maybe four or five years ago in the case of some of the older ones, they would still know how to use an iPhone. Um, Whereas the geisha, although we didn't see her or speak to her quite as much, like she may not be quite as um, knowledgeable, but then she obviously they all have their clients, don't they, who are like rich businessmen who have obviously all got phones. So that's probably where they keep up to date and stuff. Yeah, definitely. Um, so it was really, it was really fascinating. You know, they don't have computers in these Akias. They don't have, they just don't have anything. It's, it really is as traditional as, um, you know, as books make it out to be. And they, they seem to try and keep it as true to how it used to be in, in many ways, um, as, as is possible. What was interesting though is, is that we asked both of the, um, the Maiko what, how they discovered, the IKEA that they now lived in how did they you know how they got into it in the first place and both of them mentioned the internet in 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 one form what the first one said she was looking through um photographs i think and saw a picture of a mako and basically said i want to be like i want to be like that and another one already knew a lot about geisha and was actually googling good okias and places that she can she could go to and, and actually submit an application online so it's interesting that although they are traditionally very sort of anti-tech there are some computers somewhere because somebody's accepting internet-based applications to become a geisha which i thought is very interesting so let's move on to something else we've um we've referenced google translate um, so it might be worth just po- pointing that out um, for a few minutes because that to me has been one of the biggest, it's, it's been a game changer to to me. Um, this is my third time in Japan and on the previous two trips, which were sort of five and six years ago respectively, um, I didn't have the ability to hold up an iPhone at a sign or a menu or anything like that and have it translate on the fly in real time on my screen. And it has helped us out in a whole bunch of situations that we didn't really anticipate. You know, we thought it would just be menus and things like that. Um, But it's helped us out with a lot of things. Um, Kate, I think one of the most fun examples was when we went to one of the little nature reserves and all the the signs about birds and things. Maybe you could talk about that. Yeah, we went to a little nature reserve park type thing in Tokyo. Um, Didn't really know what it was. We just had a couple of hours to spare, didn't we? And saw it on the map. Um, when we got in, obviously everything was in Japanese, all the signs and everything. Um, but we held up our phones using this app and we, we got to read the signs. So we found out about this giant thousand-year-old oak uh, pine tree um, that we knew was there. And then we used our phones to find it and then found the sign underneath and found out how old this big massive tree was, um, which was exciting. And then there was a big board of all the birds that were around um, and we translated the names and found out what they, you know, if they were English birds that we have here or if they were completely Japanese birds. So it was really, really nice and it helped us enjoy the park more, I think. 
Yeah, definitely. And, you know, we've probably used this app several times a day, every day since we've been here. And we have used it for menus and things. And that's been really, really helpful, even as recently as um, about six, seven hours ago when we were trying to work out um, whether something was soup or tea in (laughs) in a little cafe. And um, it turns out it was curry and tea. So we were sort of half right on one count, but, uh, but it got us out of a sticky situation. One of the most interesting uses that I've used for it is actually something which we're also going to talk about separately, but it's kind of connected to this. And I subtitled this in my in our running notes here with printing fiasco, because it turns out it's really, really, really hard to get stuff printed in Japan unless you're staying in a business hotel, apparently. Um, I've never needed to print anything when I've been out here um, in the past, but for these um, tea houses, when we were going to the geisha, we had to print out some doc- documents, our print like printed tickets, in order to show them to the um, to the tea house owners so that we could go in for our evening's entertainment. They didn't want us to just hold up a digital document. So... You know, uh, but we didn't have a printer in the hotel, apparently, which I find baffling, but that's what they said. There was no printer here. There are convenience stores here that have photocopier printers, um, but they use USB sticks and memory cards. We had iPads and a Galaxy Note 8, but no ability to copy a file onto a USB stick to then take to one of the convenience stores to plug into the, the printer. Some of the printers in some of these convenience shops do let you print from the cloud, but to do that, you need to upload a file to an app that can't actually be downloaded from non-Japanese app stores. And it's not possible to change the store on my iPad because my account is registered in Britain. We also couldn't register a new account on on the iOS device because we're not Japanese. We don't have a Japanese address here. Um... And it took us about an hour to figure out the problem, um, or rather a solution to the problem, which involved using the Gmail account that we'd set up for guests coming to our wedding last year to send us correspondence to, because it hadn't been configured for a Google Play account. It had just been set up as, as email. So we chose Japanese for that account and used that on Kate's Galaxy Note 8, which allowed us then to access the Japanese Google Android app store download the app which was free incidentally so it's even more baffling why this would be restricted because the actual app itself was all in english wasn't even in japanese um then i could email the document that we needed to print to kate's phone and then upload that into the app in her device and then we could upload that to the printer wirelessly over the road in the convenience store And the reason Google Translate is relevant to this story is because in the convenience store, all the buttons and the menu systems on the printer was in Japanese. So it was then a case of using Google Translate in real time to translate what all the buttons meant on the photocopier at about 11 o'clock at night. And finally, we got it printed. It did come out on photo paper for some reason. So I obviously either pressed the wrong button or translate mistranslated something and we did get our printouts and annoyingly we didn't need them anyway when we got to the tea house because there was only four people who were uh, there to attend that evening two of them were already in so they knew that we were just the other two so it made the whole thing completely pointless anyway but it did make me think that something is to me something as old-fashioned as printing in a place as high-tech as japan 
is still incredibly difficult to do unless you prepare in advance. So that's my little word to to people. If you're bringing a tablet and you think you might need to print, just chuck a USB stick in your bag, maybe bring a laptop, but there you go. It was annoying, wasn't it? It was. I had very little part in this fiasco, but when you said, okay, I need your phone to do an app, I handed it over. You did. I was a good wife. You were a very good (laughs) wife. Um, You used it to find hairspray at one point. How was it using Google Translate in a convenience store to find hairspray? That was really fun, actually. I'd run out of hairspray and I went in and there was all these cans of aerosol-based things that all looked very similar, um, all with pretty flowers on. I didn't know what was deodorant, what was hairspray, what was anything else. So I got my phone, scanned them all, found out, Okay, this one's deodorant, this one's hairspray. Winner. I won. I won the day. You did win the day. You wouldn't (laughs) want to confuse those two, would you? Because you'd have very nice smelling hair and very sticky armpits, I would imagine. Exactly. Yeah. But while you were in these shops, you came back and you mentioned something else to me, which is that you noticed that there are absolutely no self-service checkouts here, which I'd never noticed before. Absolutely everything is staffed by a human. You can't do any of this on your own. That was really strange, wasn't it? Yeah, I th- I noticed it straight away because as an introvert, I don't like to speak to shop assistants at home. So I like to use self-service. And then when you get here and obviously you'd probably rather just press a little flag that says English and do it all without having to speak to someone and embarrass yourself. But you can't because there aren't any. Um, it's all people. Um, they all speak very good English, so it's fine. Um, I just I thought it was really strange. But... The other thing is some restaurants kind of do have self-service where you go in, you pick your dish off a screen, a touch screen, you pay for it in the machine and then you sit down and then a waitress comes over, a waiter takes a little ticket that's been printed out and then brings you your food. So you actually don't have to speak to anyone in the restaurant sometimes. So it's a bit backwards, really. It's backwards compared to Britain, certainly. Yeah. Um, I thought that was that was weird. And another thing that I found interesting in, in another shop that we were in, in um, it was before we'd left Tokyo for Kyoto, but I'd bought, bought a new lens for my, for my camera because um, it turns out that I could save £300 by buying it here instead of at home, uh, which was great. But then we noticed there was a massive sign saying you could pay for anything in that store with Bitcoin, and it was really heavily promoted. It was a lot of stores as well. It wasn't just that one. It was lots of different things you could buy with Bitcoin in the whole shop. And yeah, it was really strange. Yeah, there was posters everywhere, like really, really big ones. They were making quite a big deal of that, about it that you could you could pay for stuff um, in Bitcoin, which we don't tend to see very often at home. We, occasionally in East London, you'll see a cafe that accepts Bitcoin, but typically it's it's not seen anywhere like that. But here it was, yeah, it was really quite a quite a big deal. So out on the street, um, there's been a lot of observations that we've made uh, out on the street, I would say. Um, one of the, well, a few a few interesting things, it seems that everybody here now seems to be using an iPhone. Um, I remember the last time I was here, I noticed a lot of Samsung devices and still quite a lot of people using flip phones, traditional um, flip phones. Whereas now it's almost comical how you look down a train and everybody is using iPhones. And I've seen more iPhone 10s in the wild out here than I've seen in 
in London since it was released. You know, every train you'll see at least one or two people with an iPhone 10. They're everywhere. And they're easy to recognize because they have the vertical camera um, orientation, whereas the iPhone 8 and everything earlier has it horizontal. So they're, they're easy to spot and they're, they're everywhere. And on top of that, the most popular headphones I've seen have been AirPods. Every single day we've seen several people with with Apple AirPods and almost nobody wearing over-the-head headphones, big, you know, big cans like we see in London. And they do sell them because we've seen them in the shops. But I think we've counted on one hand how many over-the-head headphones we've seen people wearing in Japan since we've been here, right? Two, I think. Two people Two in I, two weeks, yeah. Yeah, I think it was three. Okay. May have been may have been three, but I, it was fewer than five, um, which uh, which is amazing. Um, but we went. We spent one day in Akihabara, which is the kind of the high tech, highest high tech geek center of um, of Tokyo, and um, we, we noticed a couple of things out there. But the most interesting is that Pokemon Go is still very very much a thing there. Uh, we walked past a group of people, didn't we, outside one store. How many people would you say were standing around playing Pokemon Go? Oh, 30, 30 people. And they were all adults. They weren't kids. They were, like, grown men, mostly men. I think there was, like, one or two women. Yeah. It must have been a gym or something because they were all, like, hammering on the screen as if they were doing a gym. I haven't played it in ages. I assume that's what you still do. Um but yeah, I was just like, oh my god, people still play this. I know your brother still plays it, but yeah. Yeah, Andy at CNET still plays it constantly. No, I, we haven't played it for a while. We're addicted to Elder Scrolls Legends now, apparently. Yes. You and I. Um, and we saw one taxi drive past us that had a sign in the window that to my eyes, well to our, our eyes, looked like it said, you can't take this taxi to drive around collecting Pokemon. Yeah, it was a little Pikachu, wasn't it? little Pikachu and it looked like it had a cross or something um, and it, it did look like you can't Pokemon go in this taxi <laughs> type yeah. thing um, but we only saw one of those we did we did and we only t- we've only taken one taxi since we've been here which was a fun experience um, and part of the reason for that actually this is a good uh, segue I think is that it turns out defying all expectation Apple Maps is really really good in Tokyo um, particularly for public transport. We've not used Google Maps once since being here. Um, interestingly, you can't download offline Google Maps of Tokyo, or at least none of the places that we've been. Um, and so we've been using Apple Maps um, basically exclusively. And I was expecting to have problems with it because Apple Maps has a history of being um, less than capable on occasion. But um, as regular listeners will know in I think May last year, I took a challenge to only use Apple Maps instead of um, Google Maps for a month and just to see how much it improved. And certainly in London, it really had improved. And it's it's the the service that I use now almost exclusively for, for mapping at home because it's got very good um, and it's very fast on the iPhone. But I was expecting to be bitterly disappointed in in Tokyo, but not at all. It's been absolutely brilliant. The the maps have been great and yeah, the public transport, I mean every subway journey, every when we've taken bullet train, when we've wanted a bus, everything has been through Apple Maps and I'm just so surprised. So if you're if you're coming to Japan with an iPhone and you're wondering which mapping service to use, obviously 
the choice is always yours. Um, but don't be put off trying Apple Maps if you're already used to using Apple Maps because it really is good. And not just in Tokyo, in Kyoto as well. If, if anything, and more so in, in Kyoto because um, it, there are fewer English signs generally in Kyoto than in Tokyo. So it's been, yeah, it's been a real help, hasn't it? Yes. Um, I've just been following you mostly, but we did get a bit lost today, didn't we? In did the we? station. Did we? Not through any fault of Apple Maps. Oh, the gigantic station that yeah. didn't have proper signage anywhere. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we did get a bit lost there. Blame the signage. It was the signage. It pointed us one way and it took us to a clothes it shop. It did. We walked a very long way. I mean, if anything, that's the next step, really. Indoor mapping. You know, there are indoor maps now for a lot of places in sort of big capital cities and things and airports saying Heathrow now uses iBeacons on um, on iPhone, probably on Android as well. But certainly I think it would be massively helpful in terms of encouraging tourism for these places to have their bigger shopping centres or, or transport hubs to be equipped for indoor mapping. It would certainly have made a huge difference for us, at least today, if not any other day. We can only conclude with one thing i think that we haven't talked about and that is the bullet train the shinkansen which i've never taken before kate having never been to japan before has obviously never taken either and what would you how would you describe the bullet train experience the 300 kilometer an hour train from tokyo to kyoto it was really lovely it arrived exactly on time um you could sort of see it coming in and you're like oh it's 20 seconds early and then it comes in no exactly on time it was amazing um it was to me it was really smooth it was a really lovely journey and it was nice and quiet i think like i was listening to music it wasn't super loud or anything it was Mm. it was nice i was playing final fantasy 15 you were on the ipad there was no Wi-Fi, though, was there? Well, there, meant, there was meant to be. It said there was Wi-Fi, and the, even the English voice that announced the train's departure said, there is Wi-Fi, free Wi-Fi, but we looked and we couldn't no, find... No, couldn't find anything. There was loads, but they're all password protected, and there was no signage up like there is on other trains and, and things to say, here's how you access the Wi-Fi, but it wasn't, it wasn't there. So, it, if anything, the bullet train internally is quite low-tech, there's not a lot on there you know there's no vending machines that you see everywhere in stations here it's you know it's a it was a woman pushing a trolley up and down for two and a half hours um literally um so it's interesting that from the outside you see this train as a half mile long elongated bottlenose dolphin like affair and think this is the height of technology and sophistication in transport and you get on it and you're like yeah it's fine but where's the tech it's 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 very very stripped down and focused Mm -hmm. Aren't they? Are they quite old though? They're not like brand new trains, are they? They're like, are they? Um, well, then, no. I mean, they've been around for for many, many years. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, some are more modern than others because they keep they keep making them. And there's loads of different ones. It's not like there's one. There's not one bullet train. There's loads of bullet trains. There's loads of different. Some of them go at different speeds. Some of them are stopping services are used by commuters. Some of them travel, you know, the length of the country almost. Some of them do shorter journeys. Um, in my head, I thought the bullet train was the bullet train, and you took it from Tokyo to Kyoto yeah, or Osaka. Like one a day or something. But, yeah, that's but they're what not. I there's like one pulling in every ten or fifteen minutes in the station, just on the platforms we were on, wasn't there? And, yeah. And there was about 
six or seven platforms, Shinkansen platforms, I think, in Tokyo Station and in Kyoto as well. There's there's quite a few. So that was quite surprising. Um, there was a very interesting poster on the wall of the uh, the on, on the platform of the bullet train that said no selfie sticks because if they get caught in the overhead cables you'll get electrocuted to death and the thing is if you were standing on the platform you'd need to be holding a selfie stick that was about 15 feet long in order for it to touch one of these overhead cables which is completely unnecessary and doesn't exist i wouldn't put it past some of these Japanese kids to have a 15-foot-long selfie stick. We have seen a lot of them, haven't we? They have been yeah. everywhere. Well, I think that's a good point to uh, to end the show on. Um, we didn't want to go um, a third week without uh, without an episode, and we've seen we've been keeping notes as we've been going around on our holiday of all the tech we've seen, and, and we've we've picked some of our favourite um, observations. We have had more. If uh, if you've got any questions about anything we've talked about, or if you're planning a trip to Japan, or if you've got any questions just in general about life. Um, or if you want to know the ins and outs of veterinary nursing, then you can email Kate via hello at techpodcast.uk. Um, Kate, despite being my wife, you are also technically a guest on the show and guests get to promote something and tell people where they can follow them and stuff. So go nuts. Where do people look up uh, your Instagram, your books, things like that? If you are so inclined, I suppose, I have a book um, that I wrote uh, probably a year ago called The Fox of Richmond Park um, if you just stick that in Google or Amazon you can find that um, it has many many lovely reviews um, not written by myself um, you can find me on Instagram or Twitter um, on Kate Langson um, yeah that's about it or email Nate <laughs> or email Nate yeah. it's Kate Langson it's basically the same as me but with a K instead of an N um, yes yes um, <laughs> Well, thanks to everyone, and thank you to our patrons for supporting us. Hopefully we'll be back next weekend with a regular scheduled programming, and we hope that we'll have some emails to discuss on that show. We'll be back with Ian then, and we'll see you then. Sayonara. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.